0: Well, good morning. Uh, As Jim said, he asked uh, several weeks ago if I would be uh, willing to speak for him this Sunday, and gladly was able to uh, agree to that. Uh, As the time came closer and things became uh, a little bit more chaotic, uh, as he said, he did offer several times, if I wanted to uh, change my mind about this, Uh, I think the phrase that we used back and forth between us several times was, well, this will be interesting. Uh, And it definitely is interesting. Um, As Jim mentioned, though, at the beginning, I think it was a good reminder to me, and I hope a reminder to all of us, uh, this work does not depend on us. Uh, We are to be faithful. We are to do what God has called us to do. We are to minister the gifts that God has given us, whether that's with music or whatever way, capacity God has called us. We are to do that. But it is His work. Uh, He is at work. God is the one that is uh, doing the work. And His Spirit will accomplish His purposes. So with that, let us begin. Let me pray for us and and then we'll get started. Father, we uh, do acknowledge again that you are sovereign over all things. Lord, that you are in control, that nothing takes you by surprise, that you are accomplishing your purposes no matter whatever the circumstances. Lord, we depend on your spirit to move in our lives. Lord, we recognize that we do not need to be physically present here in this room for that to happen. Your spirit is not limited by walls or buildings. We trust your spirit to move in hearts and lives, wherever or whoever is listening and wherever they are. Lord, we thank you that we can look to you. Lord, we thank you that you have never failed us, that all of your promises to us are true. We are grateful for the privilege that we have of serving you and being used of you. We just commit this time to you this morning, trust you for what you are going to do, and Lord, as in all things, we will give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. I had the opportunity to speak here at church a few weeks ago at the beginning of the year. And I think I mentioned at that time uh, that the um, subject of my sermon was from uh, Hebrews and that I have been going through my devotions in Hebrews. And that's why I happened to land on uh, that particular uh, subject. The Lord seemed to impress that on me. And we talked about the new covenant from Hebrews to chapter 8. Uh, at the time Jim contacted me, I was uh, slowly plodding my way through Hebrews. And at that point, I'd gotten to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And when Jim asked about speaking, I had finished going through the first few verses of Hebrews 12. And I thought that would be uh, an excellent sermon, an excellent subject to speak on. And so I determined that that's what the Lord was directing me to do and began preparing for that. Uh, As the time got to be closer to when I was speaking today, and as I thought more and more about Hebrews, the first few verses of Hebrews 12, I thought this is a very pertinent topic uh, for our time and situation today, and a reminder to me again that the Lord is in control. The Lord knows the future. The Lord knows what's going to happen. The Lord knows and prepares us for these situations. So Hebrews 12, let's look at the first three verses of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The people here at this church I know are good students of the Word of God. Uh, You've been well taught through the years, and Jim does an excellent job of teaching and expounding the Word of God to us. And as good students of the Word of God, you know that you always have to look at the context of the verses that the person is preaching from. If you just take a particular verse out of context, you can twist it and make it mean something entirely different than what the scripture was intending it to mean. And so... When Jim is normally preaching, he's going through the book of the Bible, and so we're familiar with the context, because he's already given that to us. Uh, so today, I need to give you a little bit of the context here, so that you understand this, and see how this fits in with what the writer of Hebrews is, is saying to us. Now... This is especially important because the very first word that we have here in Hebrews 12.1 is, therefore. So the writer to Hebrews is is saying to us, in in light of what I just said to you, and I'm going to make a summary statement here, and you've got to understand what I said previously. So what came before is important, And what I'm going to be saying now, you can't just jump in here and begin reading here. You have to understand what took place previously. You have to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, again, most of you, I'm sure, are good students of the Scripture. And when you mention Hebrews 11, uh, right away you understand this is one of the famous chapters in the Bible. If you're not that familiar with the word of God, maybe somewhat familiar, as soon as you look at these verses here, you understand what this chapter is all about. This is a chapter on faith. Indeed, the word faith or by faith occurs 25 times in this chapter, chapter 11. We have here a listing from God through the writer of the book of Hebrews of many of what we would call heroes of the faith. People that believed God, that understood God's promise to them or God's command to them and followed through on that promise or that command. They did what God had called them to do. Now some of these are well known to us, like Moses and Abraham are listed here. But the interesting thing is you read through Hebrews 11, and you look at these various men and women that in many cases sacrificed their lives for their faith, but many of them are not mentioned by name here in Hebrews 11. Now, again, I would encourage you to, if you have a copy of your scriptures there, take a look at Hebrews 11, and let's look at verses 35 through 38. And it says, I'm going to jump in the middle of verse 35, some were tortured. We're not given the names of those blessed saints that were tortured. They were just some. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Some were accepting release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others, again, not mentioned, no names, just others, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth." So we have people here who who are not mentioned by name, but whose faith sustained them, whose faith was able to get them through very difficult circumstances. So we have all these people who acted in faith, and at the end of chapter 11 it said, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What was the better, what was it that they were promised that they did not receive, and that was Christ Christ. They were told that there was a promise coming, there is a Messiah coming, there is a Savior that is coming. And they were not able to see that, but they still acted in faith, believing God. We are the ones that are the beneficiaries of that. We see Christ. We have experienced that Savior. So now chapter 12, verse 1, makes a little bit more sense. when it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now as you look at that, what is he saying there? Now there's two ways you could look at that. You could say, that uh, as a witness, I have seen something. I witness something take place but all of you right now are acting as witnesses you are witnessing something that is taking place currently so when the writer here is talking about the fact that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses what are those witnesses doing Are they actually looking down at us and witnessing what we are doing here today? Uh, Is it possible, for instance, that Gideon uh, decided this morning he would look down and look at Bruce McCormick and watch Bruce lead the singing here at Trinity Community Church in Tallahassee, Florida? Did he decide that he was going to witness what Bruce was doing here today? Now, as much as we would like to think that is true, I, I doubt seriously if that's what the tension was of the writer of Hebrews. He is not saying to us that we can see these people looking down at us, witnessing what we are doing here. I think on the basis of what chapter 11 is saying, he is saying we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What did those people witness? They witnessed the faithfulness of God. They saw God act. They saw God do something in their lives. They saw God sustain them through very difficult circumstances, through trials that resulted in many cases in their death. They were witnesses to what God was doing. Those are the people that we can look to. Those are the ones that surround us. Those are the ones that we can see how God provided for them, how God met their needs, God sustained them. Those are witnesses that we can look to. Now, it's not only just the witnesses that are listed here in Hebrews 11. I think all of us know people like this. I think of particular, a couple, three people that I know of They are witnesses to God's faithfulness. God brought them through, in some cases, difficult, very difficult circumstances, and God sustained them. God blessed them, and God used them. So we have these witnesses before us. They saw the joy in Christ. They saw something other than the circumstances around them. They saw Christ. We have all these people who have gone before us. Not not just the ones listed here in Hebrews 11, but many, many millions of other people that have gone before us, that have gone through difficulties, trials, and tribulations, and yet did it with great joy because they saw the faithfulness of God. So we've got that as an introduction, that therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, the writer to Hebrews then tells us there are four things that we are supposed to do as a result of that. Now, again, for those of you that are, that are Christians that are watching this, I need to remind you that these are imperatives. This, what is follows here are not suggestions to us. They are not something that God says, you know, that would be a good idea if you tried this. No, he is telling us we need to do this. So this is not something that is an option for us or something, oh, I'll think about it, kind of a thing. No, this, he is telling us this is what we need to do. So there's a very seriousness about what follows here in these instructions to us. These are things that we need to incorporate in our lives. These are things that we need to do. We need to obey God in in these things. The first one he says to us is that we... uh, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So we need to lay aside every weight and sin. Now, I need to look ahead just a little bit to the next one because the weight makes a little more sense when you look at the next one, which is that we need to run a race. So we have to understand that and to understand the weight that he's talking about here. But we need to lay aside every weight. Just as a runner strips down to the bare essentials to run the race and lays aside every weight, we need to do that. Uh, our children, two of our children, uh, when they were in high school, ran cross country. Uh, I had not had much experience with cross country up until then, it was not something I was interested in when I was in high school. And uh, so all of a sudden now we are immersed in it and we learned a lot about cross country. Uh, One of the things we learned about cross country obviously is that you do not carry any extra weight. The runners wear a t-shirt and shorts and shoes and socks and that's it. Carry anything else? They don't carry their school backpack with them. They don't even carry their phone with them. You know, they have to. They lay aside every weight because if they're going to run this race, they want to do it with the least amount of encumbrances they can possibly have. And it's the same way as a marathon runner would run a race. A cross-country runs just uh, three miles. But a marathon runner is running 26-plus miles. They lay aside every weight. They are not going to carry extra weight with them because it's going to encumber them in that race. We need to lay aside every weight. Now... As I looked at this, especially when he says, lay aside every weight and sin, my assumption here is that the weight he is talking about isn't necessarily something that's sinful. He's talking about perhaps something that maybe would be a good thing, but it will encumber us in the race. It may be something that even that we enjoy, we need to lay it aside in order to maximize our effort in running this race. He does talk about sin, uh, and it's interesting, he talks about the sin that clings so closely. Uh, it, just, it was a, several days ago, I had the experience that I thought illustrated this perfectly, and, and I was unwrapping a package of something and it had some cellophane attached to it and then tearing the package apart, a portion of the cellophane came off and attached to my finger. Now, I'm sure all of you know, because you've probably done the same thing, what I did next. You shake your finger, of course it doesn't come off, it's stuck. So what do you do? I reached over and grabbed it with the other hand and pulled it off. What did that do? All it did was attach it to this hand. Now it's stuck here. You shake this hand and it doesn't come off. So what finally I got the wastebasket and I'm scraping it onto the wastebasket, finally get it to cling onto there instead of clinging on to me. And I thought that is a perfect illustration of what he's talking about here—the sin that clings so closely to us. Uh, we we need to take action on that. We need to look at that sin that is so clinging so closely to us that we you try to shake it off and it still clings there. Well. Uh, How do we lay that aside? How do we lay aside that sin? And and I think uh, if I were to survey all of us here and all of you that are listening, you would probably be thinking to yourself right now of that sin that clings so closely to you. Because I'm thinking of the one that clings so closely to me. You fight the fight. You continue to fight the fight. You continue to lay it aside. You continue to put it away. And you say to me, but Dick, it keeps coming back again. You continue to fight. You continue to fight. You ask God for grace. You ask God for help. You interact with other Christians that will give you encouragement or hold you accountable, give you assistance. do whatever you have to do to fight the fight because the sin has to be laid aside in order to run the race so let us fight the fight and lay aside every weight and sin then he says let us run with endurance the race that is set before us let us run with endurance, uh, Jim mentioned this here a couple three Sundays ago in the sermon he had, he talked again about the fact that the, the Christian life is a marathon. it is not a sprint. We are in this for the long haul. We are here for, for a long race and again, as a, thinking of the cross country illustration. As I said, we began going to cross-country meets and began seeing uh, these cross-country runners. And if you're not familiar with cross-country, it's, it's an interesting sport in that you show up to the meet and as it is cross-country. So you can walk up to the starting line or watch the participants go up to the starting line And then there's some woods over this way, and they give the signal that runners run, run off into the woods, and you will not see them again until they come running out of the woods and cross the finish line. It's not, in some cases, not a very interesting race to watch. You're just waiting for them to come back. But some of the race courses are a little bit more open, and so you have an opportunity, and some of them kind of go like this. So you have an opportunity to be here, and then you know if I move over here, I can watch them come by here, and then if I move over here, I can watch them come by there. Well, I quickly learned in watching these races, I could identify most, with most certainty the winner of the race just after a little bit of running. They looked like runners. They had, after the first hundred yards or so, they had gone into uh, uh, their stride. They were just putting one foot in front of the other. It was constant, just regular, just like a machine they were going. And it looked effortless, you know. They looked like they could do this for days, you know. I'm sure that on the inside it was the burning and that sort of thing was there. But you got the impression. They were just, you know, going, and I thought that's essentially what he's telling us to do. We we are to be like that, just putting one foot in one foot in front of the other, and continuing on in the race, just plodding along carefully. We need to run the race. It is a long race, and it is a hard race. But God is there with us. God will sustain us. God will strengthen us, but we need to be prepared for that race. And the interesting thing he says here, too, is that it it is set before us. Uh, If you showed up at a cross-country meet or a marathon, and you looked at the course said, you know, I don't think I like that course. I think I'm going to run my own course. Uh, They would say, no. No, I'm sorry. You have to run the course that we set. You don't pick your own course to run. The race has been set before us. We, we have a race that's been given to us by God. We have a course that's been set for us before by God. We are run that course. Now, again, going back to Hebrews 11, I don't think there were probably too many people there in Hebrews 11 that said, you know, Lord, I think I'd like to sign up for that course where at the end I get tortured and killed. I don't think too many people said, I would like that course, but that was the course that God set for them. God has set a course for us, and we need to be faithful in running that course. As I mentioned, uh, our son and daughter were involved in cross country. Our daughter continued on in running after high school and into college and after that. And she got involved in running marathons. And uh, she got uh, fairly good at it. Uh, She didn't win any, but she did, for her age bracket, did well. In fact, she did well enough uh, that she qualified for the Boston Marathon, which is a very prestigious marathon. And she was quite pleased to be able to run in that. And if you're familiar with the Boston Marathon at all, you understand that part of the course is something called Heartbreak Hill. Now, Heartbreak Hill occurs at the 20 mile marker. You have been running for 20 miles. You've got six more miles to go, and you come to Heartbreak Hill. Heartbreak Hill is a very steep hill that is about a half a mile long. And you can understand how it got the name Heartbreak. I am sure there's been more than one runner that had a broken heart on that hill, that had put out a tremendous amount of energy and effort over a 20-mile period. And now comes to this hill and just struggles to make it to the top of that hill. Struggling because they know even when they get to the top, there's another six miles yet to go. That's a heartbreak. Now, all of us, I assume all of us, or at least most of us, have probably been through some heartbreak along the course that God has given us. Now, it may have been at the beginning of the course that God gave you, or it may be at the 20-mile marker of your course that that heartbreak comes or will come. I don't know. But we need to be prepared for that. We need to understand that heartbreaks do come. But in the midst of that marathon that we're running, when we're tired and we're looking to the finish line, and now all of a sudden something comes along and we think, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it up this hill. I don't know if I can make it past that hill and on continuing. We need to understand that these things will come. But God will sustain us. We need to look back at Hebrews 11 and look at those people. We need to look at the people around about us that we know that went through heartbreak and went through it and continued on serving God and blessing him, rejoicing what he was doing. Now, I understand that up to this point, it's been a little bit of gloom and doom here. Yeah. We're going to look at the next one. The next one is going to give us some help. Verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2. next command, we've had, let us lay aside. We've had, let us run. Now he says, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to Jesus. We don't look at the circumstances around us. We don't look at the trials that we're facing. We look at Jesus. Now, uh, this was uh, brought home to me clearly this week. Uh, I was reading our uh, newspaper, and I think I'd gotten to probably about the third page. I'd read most of the articles on the first page and second page and coming to the third page. And when I got to that point, I thought, there hasn't been any good news here. <laughs> there has been none. That's either about the virus and all of the damage that it is doing or it's about the economy and all of the things that it's doing and all of the events in the world that all those bad things. Every article was bad, 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 bad. And I thought, if I focused on that, if I thought about that, if I looked at that, if I considered that, I would despair. I would become discouraged. I would give up hope. This is all bad news. But we are not to do that. I'm I'm not saying that we don't block out all of the news and don't read it and do all of that. We need to be good stewards. We need to be aware of the world that we're living in. We need to be aware of things that are going on around about us. But we do not focus on that. We are looking to Jesus. We are not looking to the circumstances and trials around us. Now, it's said, he is the uh, founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, some versions say the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, but the word perfecter there uh, is the idea of completer or finisher. Now, so he is the author, founder, finisher of our faith. Uh, if you are like I am, I thought of the scripture where God says of himself, what? Well, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. That's what the writer of the Hebrews here is saying about our faith. Jesus is the beginning of our faith. He is the end of our faith. And in between, he is the sustainer of our faith. We need to remind ourselves that the faith that he gives us and the faith that we have has been given to us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us of that. But he uh, says to us, it is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest we would boast. Our gift comes to us as a, our, our faith comes to us as a gift. So he begins the faith in us. He sustains the faith through us. And as the scripture also says, he that began a good work in you will complete it. He will finish the faith as well. He does it all. He sees us in our need. He sees us when we were not looking to him. That certainly is my testimony. I was not seeking him. He sought me. He began working in my heart and life. He began convicting me of sin and drew me to himself. And I'm seeing some heads nod here in the auditorium. I'm sure that's the testimony of all. God did something in our lives when we were not looking for him. He began that work in us and he will complete that work. He sustains us through us. He gives us what we need. He gives us encouragement at the time of encouragement. He gives us hope when we need hope. He gives grace when we need grace. He lifts us up when we are falling down. When we stumble in that race, he picks us up and puts us back on the course and keeps us going. And it's interesting, he says, he despised the shame. Now, I thought it would have said he despised the pain of the cross. But it says he despised the shame of the cross. Now, as I thought about that, I thought, why why is it he despised the shame? The shame of it was he was completely innocent. This is the cross. Jesus being sacrificed on the cross was the greatest travesty of justice ever. He was a completely innocent person. There was no sin in him whatsoever, and he was hung on a cross as a common criminal. So he despised that shame—the shame of people saying, "Look at there is somebody that's a criminal," when he was not a criminal. He had done nothing wrong whatsoever. So he despised the shame. And it says "He also, for the joy that was set before him. And I thought also for us, for the joy that is set before us, we endure the things that we go through. For the joy of knowing Christ... For the joy of God as our Father, for the joy of sins forgiven, for the joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit, for the joy of the fellowship that we have as Christians. And I could go on and on and on with joy after joy after joy that are ours as Christians. For the joy that is before us when we endure the cross. And again, going back to Hebrews 11, the people there, that's what they saw was the joy that was set before them. They saw the joy that God had promised them, not just the eternal joy that we are going to have with him, though that is great and a worthwhile thing to look forward to. It is the joy that God gives us now that is ours. And he is seated now in a position of honor and power. He is seated at the right hand of God. Last one is verse 3. The last thing we are to do is consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Now, as you look at that and you think, well, it's just a repeat of the previous one. We are to look to Jesus, we're to consider him. No, I think the writer of Hebrews is making a distinction here between looking to Jesus and considering him. It's not just looking at him, but thinking about him. We are to consider him. We are to actively, in our minds, consider him. There are plenty of people out there that either don't or won't consider Him. And I'm sure you've run into them or maybe talked with them. People, when you begin talking about Christ, uh, I'm, I'm not interested. They won't consider Him or they don't consider Him. I would encourage you to think about all that He said, all that He did, the life that He lived. A study that I did before I started on this Hebrews study was at least in my Bible, I have a red letter edition of the Bible that jesus 's words are in red in the scripture here, and what I did for my devotions as I started in Matthew, and I went through and I just looked for anything in red and that 's what I used for my devotions. I would go from one to the other to the other, just looking at what Jesus said. It was a very interesting study. It was very challenging to me. And I think it helped me fulfill what was being commanded of us here, that we are to consider him. We are to think about him. Now, it's specific in here. It said we are to consider him who endured such hostility. Now, again, in the context that we're looking at here in Hebrews, Uh, We understand, looking back at chapter 11, the difficulty, the hostility that they faced. But just turn over, if you would, to Hebrews 10, uh, in verse 32. He says there, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one." So the writer to Hebrews is not only just talking about the people in chapter 11 and the difficulties and trials they went through. The people he's writing to are going through difficulties and trials right at this moment. So they are also enduring hostility. We... I don't think for probably most of us are not enduring that hostility that he's talking about here. We are enduring trials and difficulties, but certainly not hostility because of our faith, though that may be something that comes in the future. And as I thought about Christ and I thought, thought about the hostility that he endured, I thought to myself, why were people hostile to him? He was a good man. He he didn't go out and hurt anybody, he did good things. He healed the sick, he fed people, he raised the dead, he taught, he encouraged people to do the right thing. Why did he get such hostility for somebody that was doing such good things? And I thought the reason was because he was good. They were hostile to him because he was good. If you go into a dark room, you can't see things very well in there. But if you turn on the light, all of a sudden you can see things. Maybe see things you don't want to see. And that's the way it is with Christ. And that's why people were hostile to him. That's why they're hostile to him today. The light of Christ, the the light that cannot be hid, shines its light, and people see the sin in their lives. People see that they are not right, and they do not like the light. They want the light to go away. They want the darkness. the Scripture said people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They were hostile to him because he was good. But he endured. He, consider him that did this. Why do we need to consider him? That we not grow weary or faint-hearted. As we're running this race, as we are in this marathon, there is a very good possibility we will get weary or faint-hearted. We cannot do that. We need to consider him to keep from being weary and fainthearted. Now, as I was preparing this message, I thought, well, this would be an excellent lead-in to communion. But we don't have communion today. So I would just encourage you to think of these verses, especially when we have communion the next time. What is that time? We are, he says, do this in remembrance of me. We are to consider him. We are to look to him at that time of communion. We are to remember him. We are to think of that broken body. We are to think of that blood that was shed for us that takes away all of our sin. Just close with a quote that I found from, this is from Robert Murray McShane, he says, Listen much of the, I'm sorry, learn much of the Lord Jesus, for every look at yourself take ten looks at Christ, for every look at yourself take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Live much in the smile of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love. And rest in his almighty arms. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that we can look to you. You are... Above and beyond capable of answering every prayer that we have. You smile on us as the Father smiles on his children. You have promised to us to accomplish good in our lives. You have told us that you are working to make us like Christ and we rejoice. Lord, we just pray that you help us. Help us in running that race. Help us in laying aside the weight and the sin that would keep us from running that race. Help us that we would look to you at all times. That we would consider you in all your beauty and glory and majesty. Lord, you have been so good to us. And we praise you for this in Christ's name. Amen.